Hello everyone, you are my fine friends and welcome to another edition of Rahalastapa. This week my guest is the phenomenal Jeff Norcott and what is super exciting is that this show was recorded in front of an admittedly smallish socially distanced audience at the Clapham Grand. Absolutely fantastic to be back um, in the theatre. We're... Uh, we're doing one more on the 5th of July with Robin Asquith and the off-menu chumps, James Acaster and Ed Gamble. There's a chance if social distancing gets relaxed that more tickets will be available. It's sold out at the moment, but you can also get tickets online. Go to richardherring.com slash gigs and you can find out all about that. Um, but we're back at the Les Square Theatre in Mondays in September and October. And I'll let you know as soon as tickets are available for that. Plus, if you have a ticket for the March 2020 gigs that were cancelled, they will be transferred across to similar lineups in the new world order. Um, look, it's so good to be back in theatres. I'm so excited about it. We will possibly do some more remote shows as and when, but uh, I'm hoping we don't need to do them every single week anymore. But uh, I am also running a half marathon in November uh, in aid of the Lister Hospital and the Mount Vernon Cancer Centre who helped me with my treatments. One of them took off my bollock. Uh, the other one made me sick by giving me chemotherapy. But for some reason, I still love them. And I would like to raise as much money as possible for them and try and defeat cancer once and for all. We can do this. Uh, so if you'd like to sponsor me, head to justgiving.com slash monoball and uh, give a couple of quid, whatever you want. One pound per testicle that I have left. Um, whatever you think my testicle was worth or what these podcasts are worth to you if you have never donated for anything else. It'd be lovely to raise tens of thousands of pounds for these brilliant charities. Justgiving.com slash monoball. I'll be running in November if it kills me, I honestly, I appreciate the irony and I will die a happy man. Uh, but I am getting fit and uh, trying to make sure that nothing else bad ever happens to me and that I live forever. If you want to celebrate me being alive, give some money to justgiving.com slash monoball. If you are annoyed that I'm still alive, go to the Lister Hospital and smash up some of their equipment. They're the ones who saved me. Okay, guys, let's sit back, relax and enjoy... Rahalasapa with an audience for the first time in over a year, unless you count number 300 where there was a very small audience. It's Jeff Norcott. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Clapham Grand. Please welcome a man. He's got a bit of a cold. It's not COVID. Right, pro probably he could be the new COVID Mary. It's Richard Herring. My goodness. Hello, how lovely to see you all. <laughs> oh, man, this is already weird. Thank you very much for coming, everybody. Um, welcome to the uh, first live one we've done of this uh, for 14 months, really, not including the time I was the guest at the, uh, at the Bill Murray. Uh, but welcome to Richard Herring's lovely South London Theatre podcast. 
Uh, though I was talking to the audience of champions uh, who've straight out of the gates, they're not scared about COVID. They've come to see this show. Uh, and they call it Rehalestopus. So I don't know if that's going to... Yeah, well, I just said you did. You don't need to shout it out. I said... Uh, look, it's lovely to be here. It's 14 months um, back with a crowd. It's a really weird thing. I've been doing these from home. Um, and obviously, my opening monologue, especially, I've got no idea if it's funny or not for the last 14 months. But now, oh, <laughs> we've discovered anything could happen. Someone could shout out willies. That's how. Yeah. <laughs> so it's time to find out if I'm funny. Uh, the last one, I'm, I'm wearing the same suit I wore for the last live podcast I've not I've put on no way over lockdown I put on a lot of weight over looked at lockdown and then the last two months I've lost it all again so it's okay I wore this suit when I was it was Sir Michael Palin was the last one of the last guests in life so it's it's good to be back uh, you know I've had a few health issues uh, but I, I think we're okay um and uh, yeah it's, it's going to be sort of crazy to do this live we'll see how it goes I'm, I'm looking forward to it um Let's see. I, the, the thing I've been thinking about this week, the week we're recording this, is um, the Eurovision Song Contest has just happened. And I think I'm still going to be thinking about this in three and a half weeks when this goes out. I can't stop thinking about the lady dressed as the hand. I can't, I can't stop. <laughs> For a lot of reasons. There was a lot of things about... I'm slight. Is it cheating to have sex with a woman dressed up as a hand? I don't, you can just say it was just hand stuff. It was fine. We just did the hand stuff. My wife wouldn't mind that. Uh, but also, you know, I'm just, you know, when she took that job on, was she really thinking about what it would mean? Did she go, will my face be visible in this? <laughs> yeah, will your face, will it, am I hand? Yeah, your face will. But you just think she's never going to be able to shake that off. Is she going to, she's going to be like nominated for best actress at the Oscars. And they're going, oh, hold on, were you the hand? You were the hand. Someone's going to bat, bat. Before we get married, there's just something I have to tell you. I was, I was the hand woman in the second most embarrassing song in the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, it was sort of, at least they had a go. At least they had a go. Um, it's the, for me, it was the most shameful episode in German history. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I think. But... Uh, Good to see. Look, we'll crack on because we're going to try and stick to it being uh, exactly an hour long for these podcasts. Um, I've just picked up a bug from my kids. We've actually been virus tested. If you're worried, don't be scared just by my croaky voice. We've been tested. I'm, I'm double vaccinated. It's like wearing two condoms. <laughs> double safe. Um, only got one testicle. That's the, uh, that's the only difference. That's the only difference from usual. Let's find out if uh, my, all the comedy of my was in that. It could have all been in there. It's a lot more comfortable, mate. And I honestly, if there are any guys out there thinking about just having one off, have you had one off already? Well, I don't need to talk to you. Yeah, finding it okay. Anyone who hasn't had one off already, take one off. Take the big one off. Honestly. How'd you get a screwball in your pants? Oh, it's like a screwball with ice cream in your pants. Fuck, man, your operation turned out a lot more differently than mine. <laughs> Don't get a prosthetic. It's just everything, all your, all my old pants fit. Okay, if I go, if I go running, it's just great. You don't have to keep, no, no little, you have to adjust yourself, do you? It's good. Fuck it. It's really, it's really good. 
Now, my guest, my first live guest for 14 months is probably best known for his two appearances on the Dan and Dusty show. That's why we're all here. Find out more about that. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Jeff Norcott, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff, come on in, sit, sit down. Very good, good. Hello, you all right? Sit down. How's it going? It's Jeff Norcott from the yeah. Dan and Dusty show. I don't feel like you got enough of a reaction when you mentioned your health thing. They, went, <laughs> they, they went really fucking middle class. Went, oh, God, he's mentioned it. <laughs> the geezer's come back from cancer. Give him a fucking round of applause. I've survived. Yeah. I've survived so far. Yeah. So if it, not from my voice, it sounds like it, that might I mean, it sounds like you've got another bout coming on, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, at least you got rid of the first one. Yeah. Fucking great to see you, mate. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's lovely to be out, isn't it? And talking to people. It is. Even you, Jeff. It's I even know. nice to talk to you. That's how bad things have got. I didn't get booed coming on. <laughs> I, I've been working hard to seem more friendly, and there, I think there was maybe like one boo when I came on. That's... Uh, <laughs> I'm losing my edge. You do look, you, could, you know, the beard, you could be a pantomime. If the pantomime's about, you could be the pantomime villain. Do you know what, tonight, I've got to be honest, I normally wear what I wear in life, which is like a polo shirt, but I went a bit posher. I thought, <laughs> some clever people come to see this show. I'm going to wear this. I'm going to wear a, a merino crew neck. That'll, that'll yeah. win me some respect. It, it's worked. It feels These like guys it has. These guys love like you. They will love you. What was the Dan and Dusty show? Do you remember the day? It was a very early credit of yours. I, I feel like you, if, if you wanted to... I mean, the Dan and Dusty show was some weird ITV thing that had loads of puppets on. It yeah. wasn't on for very long. I was also... Uh, a present. I don't know if I can bring this up. I was also uh, a presenter on Nuts TV. I know that. I know yeah. about that. <laughs> the, the Shed Sports Show with Comedy Dave. That was... Uh, <laughs> I commentated on Jelly Wrestling. So were you, were you Comedy Dave Sykes, or you were the sidekick of Chris uh, Evans' sidekick? Yeah, I guess I was. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, I'm, I'm try basically trying to cancel myself now, but <laughs> it was a different time, wasn't it, the noughties? We launched a TV show based on a lads mag, but, but I, there was no, I was going to say Dolly Birds. Are you allowed to say that? You know You're what? allowed to say it, Jeff, yeah. but then, you know, <laughs> but then it's, it's afterwards you might be cancelled for it's saying all, that. You can it's be all about the consequences <laughs> of free speech. Um, but yeah, on the sports show with Comedy Dave, yeah. uh, his missus didn't like him being around those girls, so we didn't have any of that, right. which I'm sure that any blokes tuning in to Nuts TV thought, wow, out and out sports analysis. <laughs> this feels like... It's gone slightly fucking off brand. <laughs> and did he say at the start of the show, we're not allowed to have any girls because my wife won't let me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nuts TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, thanks for bringing up Nuts TV as the first fucking thing you talk about. <laughs> After the year I've had, thanks a lot. <laughs> Doesn't sound better without the plural, though, you know. <laughs> Nuts TV. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll get there aren't enough. Where are the panel shows for one testicled men? That's what yeah. I want to know. That's it. It's my way back. You found your route back. You I'll bring it up on the in. next BBC diversity panel, mate. Yeah, well, you are. You are genuinely in the BBC I diversity am. panel. Can you imagine? <laughs> BBC diversity panel. The first day I was there, and I checked in on the front desk at the BBC, and I said, I'm here for the diversity panel. A bloke just looked at me and went, really? I was like, yeah, I don't fucking know why. Either. <laughs> at some point, everybody comes and becomes a minority, and evidently, white blokes who look like electricians needed, <laughs> needed some sort of representation. Yeah. Did they come to you, or did you come to them? Did uh, the guy... The guy came to me, actually. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about the BBC, and I think people might 
presume that I was one of the defund the BBC guys, which would be ridiculous. <laughs> I fucking rely on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be just really stupid. But I do believe in it, right? But there is this problem of representation, and and I think a lot of people quite senior in the BBC are quite conscious of how detached they can seem, certainly to a working class sort of audience. And they thought maybe we'll have one of one of him. <laughs> <laughs> have a bloke, a bloke like him. Let's 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 ask what the gammon, what the gammon thinks. I was there to represent the gammon community. Yeah, I've done that proudly. Is everyone else in the diversity panel accepting accepting you and happy to have you there? Or? Well, because in that context, I'm a minority. Yeah. They're very they're very nice to me. Yeah. You know, they asked me about my exotic experiences of you know being in vans and <laughs> going to football. My Tales and yeah, I, I mean, there, there's good. I, I, it sounds a bit like I'm sort of. T this will sound like to right wingers like I'm bootlicking the BBC, <laughs> but I sort of am a bit. And secondly, <laughs> I, I just think that there are smart people there that do get the problems. But it's such a big organisation that knowing that to changing that is a, is a massive, massive leap. I think you know it doesn't. I think there's some change to be had there. But the BBC like all, have always bent over backwards to try and. Mm to try and get everything right, to the extent that they're going to destroy themselves by, well, by not standing up to people and going, no. Like the current thing with the tab, you know, the Princess Diana thing, yeah. which is terrible. What that guy did is terrible. It's one person who's done it. But mm. for the tabloid newspapers to go, oh, come on, you treated Lady Diana a bit bad there. <laughs> That's, it's a bit yeah. rich. And it is. <laughs> it is a bit rich. But you do, I mean, they're the ones in the firing line now, and they do have to sort of take it to a point. But I do, I do think maybe there was a period of time where I, it was a shame in a way that it did take Brexit for them to sort of become aware that, you know, the uh, sort of CD2E audiences, whatever it's called, yeah. were sort of going off them a bit. I didn't feel represented in that way. I know comedy, you know, comedy did become more middle class over the last decade or so as it became more focused on the Edinburgh Fringe and, and, and you know, running up a debt and just think, I mean, I remember the first time someone said to me that you lost money at the Edinburgh Fringe. I was like, fuck off, I'm not going there. <laughs> what a stupid idea. I was like, I could earn 200 quid a night on the circuit. Yeah. You lot, you idiots up at the Edinburgh Fringe, you beat the males, eh? When's that going to take off in comedy? And it really did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It really did. So it took me ages to clock on to that. But, but yeah, just simply the idea of kind of having a five-year plan, investing money, making a loss, it, comedy veered towards that. And I think in doing that, it became sort of less inviting to working-class comics. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, when I started doing stand-up in the late 80s, early 90s, it felt like you... I, remember I went to Adelaide in 96, I think, uh, and it was like a real diversity of backgrounds for mm. admittedly mainly white men but apart from that but there were people who worked <laughs> on the docks and there were people there was yeah. a Ivor Denbin who used to be a bank manager I think but apparently mm. used to work on the docks and it used to be people would come to comedy from a lot of different directions and that's yeah. what I've always loved about comedians is that it's uh, it's they're like dogs and recognise each other even if they look... Oh, God, they, yeah, they, yeah. They look yeah, and you're species. right, the circuit at that time, because it was smaller yeah. and there was actually less stuff on telly, the circuit was an end in itself. Mm -hmm. and, and people, there was something quite honest, like it was an honest living, you know, you turned yeah. up, you got paid in cash. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite, su you know, quite suited a, a lot of people, but it, it, it has changed. You know, I mean, the thing is, I'm conscious as well when I, when I talk about the class thing, is I, I do now live in rural Cambridgeshire. Yeah. And... So, you know, I'm aware of the ironies of my own life. But then, then what you have on Twitter is people go, he lives in Cambridgeshire now. I'm like, you only know that because I fucking told you. you know I mean? 
But and the thing with class, and my granddad's a builder, so my, you know, my, mm. I, I, but I would say I'm certainly middle class. Yeah. But so within two generations, at least his side of the family's gone from working class to middle class. But you, if once you've do the job you're doing now, you're no longer working class. You're now middle class, and your kids, your kids will be middle class. No. Yeah. So. Look, I've <laughs> look. I've known the taste of brioche. Let's get it out there. I, I'll give I'll give that to, to middle class people. They do the food is how they get you. I reckon <laughs> it's because they know the good food. Like right now, whatever it is I'm getting for my Tesco lunch thing now, they were having two years ago. They've already moved on <laughs> from. I still think sweet potato is sort of new. Yeah. But they like fucking sweet potato scumbag. Um, it all goes round because then they start selling you stuff that, like you know, we were we were getting those. Big boxes where they just send you some random vegetables through, and they're, yeah. kind of, they're just and they're just going to send you the rubbish they can't sell from somewhere. And it's no true, no, you're them. right. And then you get like really middle class people going, "Oh my god, tripe's amazing." So maybe there's like <laughs> cultural osmosis. It just keeps on going round and round. There's no, <laughs> but once you're out, you can't call yourself working class anymore. I can. You're not working. So class. You, this, my wife says this. <laughs> I say it's where it's where you're from, not where you're at. And she said, but the problem was for me was we started off in life. We were, we were doing okay. My old man was a, a draftsman for BT. It, it was tight, you know, but we had, we had our own place. And then my mum and dad got divorced. And that was where the family really changed was that she, instead of... Because the culture in the 80s when divorce started to happen quite a lot was, you know, take him for the house, love. But she left him with the house. That was a slightly less favoured strategy. I said, no, leave him with the house and move into a council estate. I don't really know what the logic was there. But... He got made redundant. And so then the family had, I guess, now looking at it with comedic eyes, a sort of status drop, really. Yeah. It was a real handbrake turn. And, and I went and lived on that council estate at the age of eight. So the formative bit of my life was when we didn't have much money. And that is, I'm, I'm clinging on to that. I don't know why. It doesn't really make any sense. I'm sort of saying it was a bit shit, but going, I just, I don't want to let it go. Yeah, well, it's, that's a, it's, a, it's a common thing. But that's, but that's why this country's sort of, it's such a weird country, and the class mm. system is really bizarre. And all that, I mean, you've written a fantastic book that, that, that I think everyone should. I, I would say get the audiobook, listen to the audiobook, because it's great to co hear comedians do their own stuff. But it's called Where Did, Where Did I Go Right? Uh, and How the Left Lost Me. Yeah. Which I think is victim blaming, isn't it? And blaming <laughs> the left. Did you listen to the audiobook? Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. I haven't listened to it back. What? It's good, man, but it's good to... It's oh, good. that's a lot of this voice, isn't it? <laughs> Seven hours. That's not... <laughs> if the publisher, brilliant, Jeff, well done. Yeah, we invested in that. You've just shat on it. But <laughs> I found it... What I was wanting to do when I read it was I, I like things being live and feeling spontaneous, but you can't do that in a booth. <laughs> no. I was like, yeah, I'm going to stand up and stuff, but you make so many mistakes that the guy that was there going, just slow down and read it like you read a, a book. So I'm glad there wasn't too... It's, I just think it's the best because you get, you know, you get the inflection of what everything's going to be through the through the person reading. I like I like audiobooks just because it's it's an easier way to. No, yeah. well now you've got, you've got a young kid as well, so we, you know it's hard to sit down and read books anymore. So if I'm out walking the dog, I can listen to podcasts and audiobooks, and that's why I like to do it. But mm. it's a it's a it's a it's no, it's a great book because again, it, it's like Limmy who we've had on. It's a voice you don't 
usually hear through books as well, right? It's, it's, you don't get mm. many people writing their autobiographies when they have come from a working-class background. That's uh, true. And, and, and I think it, it's the same thing that we were talking about before. Like, there's too many comedians who've all basically had the same sort of background or have just been comedians or, and that's all their life is. Yeah. Uh, and so to hear that voice is, you know, I think it's important, whatever your politics as well. And as, as you say in the book, and it's clear from the book, if you are left-wing and you want the left, if you want a left-wing or progressive party or non-Tory party to yeah. get into government, you kind of need to listen to the people who are well, voting for the Tories. Well, that was the it. thing was, in a way, you know, the, the, when I decided to write the book was after the yeah. 2019 general election because I've been through that thing. And Brexit, I think, dragged us all into more tribal versions of ourselves. You know, we all had a degree of political certainty that wasn't really that familiar to us. It was, it was odd, mm -hmm. you know. And, and then when that election happened, it seemed to resolve quite a lot. I sort of, I lost a bit of that. I felt a bit more uh, philosophical about things. Probably more naturally going to, more likely to vote Conservative, but less partisan in a way. And then, you know, when they saw the figures of the, the constituencies that they'd lost, it seemed like I wasn't alone. Yeah. You know, like there was a, quite a lot of working class people had migrated across. And then weirdly, the recent set of election results sort of really pinned that in. And so... I guess, like, if people think I'm a twat or an unpleasant person, you know, it's fine. You know, I sort of am a bit, but <laughs> there, there, are a few, there are quite a few of me as well. So yeah. if the left do want to get him back in power, that's something they've got to reckon with. But it's not, because it's not about... I think the, the problem uh, that, you, again, you address this in the book, but the, and, and I've seen it a bit on Twitter, even announcing you as a guest on Twitter, I got, like, a little bit of... People going, oh, you can't have him when he's a Tory, he's an evil Tory. Yeah. And it kind of, it, for certain people, Tory equates with racist or being deliberately evil or not caring about stuff. And, um, you know, that isn't, the book shows that you have reasons <laughs> for doing that aren't, that, that aren't the reasons that left people on the left will talk about. But also by just being abusive, which we all yeah. were in Brexit both ways, I think, you know, but by being abusive, that's not, for any party on the left to win, basically they need to get you and me to vote for them right well yeah, yeah. and that's so, burning a bridge so isn't if, it if, yeah. if we're just saying you're a racist cunt jeff norcott then yeah. you're probably not going to vote for the people well, it's well gonna take even, with, even within labor it's like oh you whichever you know whichever if you're left or or right in labor yeah. oh fuck off out the party if you're not going to support yeah, well, if Jeremy you're in Corbyn, the wrong faction off, you know. yeah well, that's not how you're going to get into Government. It's quite an immature way of going about it. And the problem is, is I think there were a lot of people, even in 2010, for example, that were natural Labour voters, but maybe for, you know, maybe it's time for a change at least for a while. And then you just see this narrative about you, like you selfish prick. That's quite a big yeah. bridge to break. Oh, selfish prick, am I? And you sort of, I think they've sort of like radicalised people into being slightly more conservative than they would otherwise have been. I think that's and, true. Yeah. And, and once you've been called stupid, racist, all that stuff, the journey back to the other side is, is, is a bit tougher. But I, th I think it occurs the other way. There's a lot of left-wing people that will post stuff online and will just be called, you know, when they care about something, just be called snowflakes and hand-wring. You know? <laughs> so it's like there's, no, there's now on, online, there's no way to just care about something. It's all uh, sort of portrayed to be part of an agenda. So I think what I just became partic I've become particularly suspicious of is certainty. I think certainty is, is, is the weird thing. Yeah. Sort of envious. I don't really have it. What I have is like, uh, a few hunches yeah. that I try and get behind. But I also think as a comedian, like having certainty or just like a soapbox and saying this is what yeah. this is right. I mean, for me, that's sort of, you've got to be able to stand back and go, which I think you do, and you've, you're able to point out what's stupid about the Conservatives and, and, and about the, the, the Labour and whatever, Liberal Democrats and everything. Mm. And I think that's, you've got to be able to stand back from it and be able to do that. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it is sort of weird. And I think that the, the real tip-off for me is when people won't allow you to joke about what they think. Yeah. And that's when we're in a day. That's when it's on a kind of a cult rather than... So for whether you're Donald Trump, were you, were you, you Donald Trump supporters or Jeremy Corbyn supporters, you go, so no, you can't, you mustn't do jokes. Well, you're already in trouble for equating the two there. Good luck <laughs> when this goes out. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did he just compare Donald Trump to but Jeremy Corbyn? I'm comparing Corbyn. the supporters. I think it's, it was well, weird. Well, there's a fanaticism. It was weird yeah. for me when I would joke about Jeremy Corbyn and, mm. and people would just go nuts about it and say you can't joke about it. You go, you, well, look, if it's right, if you're right, mm. a joke isn't going to hurt Jeremy Corbyn, you know. So, you no. know, you, you've got to be able to have arguments and I think it's just we've got to the point where we're not even listening to what the other side are saying you know? yeah I think that that was a period I think Brexit exacerbated by that but I'm always optimistic I, I think that it's slightly yeah, I wonder if it's slightly changing now I, I don't expect everyone you know to be happy that Brexit's happened and stuff but just simply the fact that it's been resolved mm -hmm. you know I mean look don't get me wrong if this time next year we're all in the street eating pigeon you know I think it might <laughs> It might revive, you know, some of the old tensions. See, I fucking told you this would happen. But at this point in time, it, you know, it hasn't been like a fantastic. But it, it maybe it's been slightly more benevolent than some of the worst case uh, scenarios. But yeah. it's just it's just tense. I mean, like you know, doing doing the mash report during that time, you know, like the way that you're all staring at me now around Brexit, like. Like when Brexit was still happening, it was that times a thousand. It was, yeah. it was just, it's just a tricky, tricky um, subject. But like I say, I just, I don't know. You know, I do, I'm 44 now. We've had a pandemic as well, and you know, Brexit was a big, big deal. But you start to realise that maybe whether you're in or out of a customs union isn't perhaps the biggest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think we've got to deal with what we've got. So. Whatever you think, we've got to kind of get on with that. I don't, yeah. It would sort of be weird to people to go, right, no, I'm not going to help this work <laughs> so, well, so that I can be proven right. I'm sure there will be people who think that. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, right, is if Brexit is shit, then you can sort of say, I told you so. And if yeah. it's not, then it's not going to be shit. You know, okay. if it is shit, then this po even what I'm saying right now could look really stupid <laughs> in about 12 months. <laughs> but it's true that I think, like, it was catastrophized. And, well, super you know, gonorrhea. And people, <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, if you haven't heard about that, that was just a weird thing to say. <laughs> Richard was talking, I went, super gonorrhea. Yeah, how did, how did you hear about it that? It sounded like I was giving my own views on gonorrhea. <laughs> gonorrhea. Quality. Well, you know, yeah, some of those stupid predictions. And, you know, yeah. there's been a lot of this on both sides politically where the catastrophizing kind of gets in the way of the real argument. And, uh, you know, Brexit meaning that we, you know, are our chickens will be radicalised or, you know, there was just, uh, no, no one actually said that. No one actually said that. That was just, that was just a right winger throwing some fake news out there. Yeah. Let's see if we can get it going. <laughs> but, you know, you're a victim of the, the push against the left because you're in the mass report and the, and the mass report was probably yeah. the only satirical show giving like a regular segment to someone on the right to talk about. You said views. that yeah. in a tweet, right? So when the mass report well, was it cancelled or they didn't recommission it? And you made that point in a tweet. I picked up more followers off, off that tweet <laughs> than I did of a whole series of the MASH report. Oh, but no. But you know... That backfired. But you know, one follower I still haven't picked up, Richard. A bit awkward. Bit, I'm following you. No, you don't. Check your phone, mate. I've, I've, I follow you. You're not. I mean, you're not. I said that. That was pathetic. You're not. But it's it so fine. But it was, it was incredible that you made that point that I kind of wanted to make, but I hate seeming like, 
you moan, you're hoping someone else is going to make that point. And for all the things people on the right said about the Mashable, and I, I wasn't in every episode, no. I was in about half of the episodes. But even just having a conservative voice popping up for four or five minutes, that was still a lot more than any other, any other show had done. And I think that, you know, fair enough if the BBC aren't going to have that show. And, and they just need to have something in that space. Because that's the thing, I don't think, I don't think that there's anyone out in Britain going, we just need a right-wing panel show. <laughs> I, d I don't honestly think, I think it would be weird if that got commissioned. I think that would be a yep. strange thing. But what it might be good to have is if you have a topical show, say there's seven or five people, if you just had one person there that perhaps, you know, we've got this culture war going on where these binary divides, if you just had one person from the other side, I just think it would make for a more interesting show. And I've been doing, done the news quiz a few times recently since Andy Zalsman started hosting yeah. it. And, and they seem to have observed that. So, that, you know, they've had people like me, uh, Alan Cochran, Simon Evans. I think it's great. And I think it's great for the left-wing comics as well because they no longer look part of an orthodoxy, you know, I've had, you have a bit of sparring, and I think, I think it just is just more sort of uh, honest, it's more, it feels more natural to do that, yeah. and I think if anyone, with the news quiz, I mean, it's not me just, <laughs> just trying to get booked on the news quiz, but I've had so many people that are saying that they've been listening to it recently, <coughs> and the fact that Andy is, is just getting, God, I was going to say a wanky phrase there, getting people out of their comfort zones, you know, <laughs> but he's firing interesting questions into the mix, and they've got a really diverse sort of panel of people and I think that I hope other people in TV or radio are picking up on how that comes across because I think it's really yeah. good yeah but you know but again Andy's a very intelligent comedian and he knows that you know you uh, for me if I'm doing political stuff which I don't think many comedians do political stuff right I think may, the vast majority of comedians don't touch yeah. politics at all yeah. I don't do a lot of politics but it's about my own hypocrisy you know or it's mm. I, I think it's interesting to challenge your own views and you know it's like in the, I did Hitler Moustache which was a, sh a show about growing a Hitler Moustache but there was a routine in that in which I argued that racists were actually more liberal than liberals because they were the closest to seeing everyone in the world as the same because they saw two groups white people and everyone else <laughs> but they were just one step away from seeing <laughs> everyone as being the same whereas we're uh, liberals see 195 countries and different distinct cultures and so we're you know so <laughs> would you write know, that show now <laughs> yeah i would I but that was a good you know but that's a routine where yeah. you're you're you know criticizing yourself and looking at your own hypocrisy yeah. and whatever as well you know and it sort of seems weird to me to not do that you know so if I, and i'm not sure that many a i don't think there are that many left like super left-wing comedians and no. I, I absolutely agree with you that the the culture is definitely skewed that way. Yeah, but that's but more small p politics as well. You know, yeah. when you talk about conservative, you know, there's a small c conservative reaction sure. to things as well. It's like a subject like Meghan and Harry. You know, there's a lot of people in the country that find them a bit aggravating. Yeah. You know, like me, I started off, I thought they were great, and then bit by bit they started to annoy the fuck out of me. And, you know, <laughs> and sort of became a bit like, you know, like when you go on holiday and you meet a couple for the first two days, you're like, are oh, these two amazing? <laughs> I just, I think we should book up all the on-site restaurants. And then three days later going, I don't know, what these pretty, I can't fucking stand them. Don't. <laughs> you're hiding behind bins in the hotel lobby. And so, you know, that's just something that you could say, right? I'm not being hateful to them. It's not, I think there's a difference between the British public's view of Meghan and Harry to the tabloid view. Yeah. But, but because there's this loaded sense around them, you know, with Meghan's race and the fact that, you know, some of the tabloid coverage of her has been, you know, frankly disgusting, it gets bound up in something else. So what tends to happen is people get a bit tight-lipped uh, around that subject. But if you had a discussion on a panel show about Meghan and Harry, it would be very, very out of step with what the broad you know, with the public thought more broadly. Yeah, okay, I see that. But, you know, also, 
it's they're part of the royal, <laughs> the royal family. You know, it's possible for both sides of an argument to be idiots, right? That's the thing. So yeah. with 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 Meghan and with both sides are sort of wrong, you know, with within it all. But I think that is it. It is the. Did you, you know, see? Do you see that that interview? You know, like. You know when she was talking and he was feeding the chickens? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, like, you know, that, that's, that was almost like, I thought that could become a phrase for, you know, when your missus is slagging off your family. <laughs> I just thought that could popularise, like, oh, she was feeding the chickens last night. Oh, Jesus Christ. She, and he, because he was looking over, what's she saying? What's she saying? <laughs> How did she get headline billing on that? It was his family. That yeah. was what was so odd. She was like, okay, Harry, I'm going to open, then we'll bring you in for a little chat. It's his family. Yeah. But equally, I sort of run against this idea, you know, that he's being manipulated by her. If you look at his profile, right, what's happened in his life, if there was ever, like, a terrorist attack on Fleet Street, he picked up, you know... Given what he's been through, yeah. so she might be talking him down every day. But you know, you know, she might be going, "Harry, just put, just don't get near Apache. Just, just do a podcast. You know, it helps make you feel more relaxed. Just talk." I mean, it I out. don't want him doing podcasts, and the podcast market is getting crowded enough know. already without them taking over podcasts. But you know, I don't, it's it's such a complicated issue, and it's but it's a, and I think it does go back to the. T- it's more the tabloids than anyone's personal feeling yeah. about them, and it is you know, he's that poor boy. I mean, that's the problem mm. with him. You just think of that, about that boy and, and what, what happened to his mother and why what, and why what happened yeah. to his mother. And so it's not surprising that he's... <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I mean. It's like, I, and you're right, like, I challenged my view because I was getting into that view of fucking Megan. She's ruined now. He was, he was a laugh. He used to fly helicopters and go on the piss. <laughs> he was a geezer. She's ruined him. And then I thought, no, look at, look at what happened in his life. Like, yeah. there's, every, there's every argument. He possibly feels like the establishment sort of killed his mum. Yeah. So it makes sense that he's a bit angry. Really. And he's trapped in something, and he says his happiest... I'm very interested. I've got an emergency question about, about it, but, hmm. um, you know, his happiest time was in the army and when he was, like, just treated like everybody else. And so it's a weird thing to grow up in that... So he was trapped, and what I like about him is he's escaped. Yeah. Whether, it, whether he's escaped into something worse or better, we'll find out. But he's escaped from that. Yeah. So is it better to... The, my question which is, would you prefer to be Prince William or Prince Harry? But Prince William is staying with his duty, uh, yeah. but he's trapped within this awful kind of well, dysfunctional family. I would prefer to be Prince Harry because he can come back. <laughs> he can come back. It's like Robbie and take that. He yeah. can do the odd talk, can't he? They'd always, they'd always come have him back. If he just wants to bank a few more anecdotes, you know... It's yep. good for the family, it's good for him, get him on the balcony for a couple of years, then he'll piss off again. Yeah. But William, William, I don't think he, he can ever do that. You know, no. he, but he also bears the hallmarks of that, that responsibility of the firstborn child as well. You know, you're just always trying to stick close to your parents. I think, I think Harry, I don't think, like, Harry's got more interesting phases left in his life, whereas William's got to kind of walk this... Yeah. This sort of narrow, righteous path, and I think he could come unstuck as well. And the worst person to be, I think, is Prince Charles. I think he's had a terrible, terrible yeah. life. I think he's just had a horrible life all the way through. No and one's going to fav- get to the end and not be king. <laughs> <laughs> he's no one's favourite royal no. as well, is he? He's like, well, you know, who's the the weird-looking fella from Westlife? <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple in fairness, but he's he's that bloke. Yeah, you know. he is. He is. Um, but uh, talking of the army, I was very interested in the chapter where you've you've been out as a comedian to do gigs in Afghanistan for the yeah. troops in Afghanistan, yeah. which must be 
like quite a you had to think twice about doing it, did you? Or did, was it just immediate? I'm going to... Just out of fear, I mean, rather than... Oh, right. Yeah. I, I hate I thought, the fucking army. I thought you meant ethically there. Yeah, I thought, no. no, I was like, yeah, fucking straight away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I... Yeah, I didn't really think too much about the safety thing. It actually came after. It came after my mum had passed away in 2009. And that absolutely slayed me. So I was quite sort of a blokey bloke, you know, and, and hadn't really... I'd sort of increasingly sort of lost touch with myself a bit. I wasn't very emotionally aware that my mum died and it cut me right down and I had anxiety attacks and I was all over the shop and stuff and then sort of built myself up a bit and then the offer to do gigs for the army came around then mm-hmm. and I sort of thought, I, you know, I, I, they spoke to me about the kind of, you know, young men and women that were serving out there and the idea of doing it a- appealed to me and also on a personal level, I thought, it felt like time to sort of get, you know, I was like fucking having panic attacks into supermarkets and whatnot. It's weirdly, I didn't have any panic attacks in a war zone. I was absolutely fine. I chilled out in a war zone. The moment I was back in Lidl, you know, yeah. by the milk aisle. Um, but they were, yeah, but they said to you, no, they always said when you was out there, you're actually safer here than you. They, they kept changing that the town. That isn't true, Jeff. That's not true. That's, that's, that's not true. Well, they said, you're safer here than you are in Reading. I no. thought, well, now I just feel worried about going to Reading. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're in Leeds. They kept changing. Do you remember when they used to say about rainforest? It was like we're losing an area of rainforest the size of Wales. Like it's a standard measurement. Yeah. They had that for uh, the kind of towns it was. But I, 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 I slept. Oh, this is a really weird thing to say. I slept really well in a war zone. I, can't, I've, I don't really like what I learned about myself, actually. <laughs> I just slept like a fucking baby. Right. And, and I wonder if that's because while I was there, I just had to think about very simple things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Stay safe do the gig, you're very, very unimportant as well. And that's a really good life lesson, you know what I mean? Like, your, your little petty whims cannot, you know, they don't come anywhere in the, in the ranking of what people need to attend to. So, and, and the shows were, you know, doing the shows were incredible. You know, some of them were very strange shows. Some of them were like 9am in the morning, you get right. like a, a Chinook. But I do, I do like telling the story as well. Saying Chinook then gave me a semi. It, <laughs> <laughs> there is something quite sexy about that sort of stuff. <laughs> Being on, I was on the Chinook, Richard. I, I love to. I'm like Uncle Albert from Fools and Horses. Uh, during the war, I got a fucking medal. <laughs> did you? I did. <laughs> I got a medal. There were there were young fellas I'd served with. I served with. I didn't serve with them. <laughs> I've lost my mind. I feel like I said. By the time I'm 80, what is yeah. this story going to be? Yeah, I repelled <laughs> the Taliban with knob gag, son. That was fall back. I, but. But yeah, I got, I got a medal. I've got a medal at home. It is a bit excessive, isn't it? It is. I think you should start with that. Come on, go, like my medal, guys. <laughs> I'm a bit of a hero. Um, were they good audiences? I mean, I guess there's not, <laughs> there's not much choice for them in terms well, of Well, no, and, and they, were, they, were, they had no alcohol no. there as well, in the middle of the desert, and obviously with certain local sensitivities. They, they just did, they, there was a while where they did have alcohol, and then just people went nuts and stuff, so they, <laughs> they stopped doing that. Um, but we, but there was, I mean, this was 2011 through 13, and right. we, we had dancing girls on those shows. I mean, it sounds, yeah, it was great. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, the, the, these girls were really rock and roll. You've got to think, if you're a dancer and you want to go out into Afghanistan and stuff, they were, they were brilliant. But I used to compare the shows, so we'd go out and the, the, you'd mix it up between comedy, dancers and music. And, but when the dancers would come on, all the lads would go deathly quiet. And I had to go out to these young men and go, do you know that's weirder, lads? That's actually way creepier. They're performers. You can react. Yeah. The worst thing in the world is they come on and you just sit there. 
not breathing the whole time. But I got, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 it was, I, I went out there five times yeah. um, in the end. There was, one, there was one time when there was a few rocket attacks within the space of an hour. And it was really interesting to see how the people in their 20s were still laughing when we hit the deck. But everyone in middle age was just like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, and that, that did rattle me, actually. Because I, I, I'd gone quite a few tours. Tours. <laughs> um, I did have that. What, what's that Rolling Stones song? I see the windows and I want to paint them. Yeah. yeah, paint it black. That was me the whole time I was out there. Dog tags on. <laughs> a sort of chewed off cigar. Don't get too much sightseeing, I'm guessing, in... No, I mean, there was one of the bases was in Kabul, which is actually within the, the city centre. So right. it's very strange that you can kind of look out on the city and you can just sit and have a coffee. It's <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, the, but the British force... I mean, one thing that it did, I suppose, it started to stir a bit of contrarian thought in me is that at the time, you know, stand-ups had a very sort of stand standard relationship with the idea of the armed forces. And, you know, forgetting what the leadership or the political leadership was, the people I found on the ground were very sort of conscientious, professional people. And, and I really liked working with them, you know. They were, yeah. they were, I didn't mean, you know, obviously like any job, you get some wrong ones, but, but they were very, they had a real sense of purpose. It was probably more of an issue of how they were led, really, than who they were. Yeah. But, you know, all of this stuff, and I think, again, what's interesting in the book, and I... It's, it's about stereotypes, it's about preconceptions, and, you know, I think everyone's guilty of this a little bit, but I've, but I've, all, but I've always found it, I've, that's, I never really liked joke jokes, you know, and I never liked, back in the 70s or 80s when they did, like, Essex girls jokes, I just, I didn't like yeah. that, because that, of the stereotypical nature, but also because it's just not true, you know, right, it's, it's just, and mm. I think, like, for me, jokes, sort of, they, they don't have to be true, but there has to be a, a, some sort of yeah. truth in, within them, I think. And they always, they always pissed me off because they thought, that can't, you know, what is Well, you the mean the old sort of mainstream tropes? Yeah, but, yeah. Any, but anything that was based on stereotypes. So, but it can be, you know, there's stereotypes about everything. There's stereotypes about the army, there's stereotypes about working class people, there's mm. stereotypes about middle class people. Most of them are in your book. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it sort of feels, at least that feels like this is you getting a bit back, you know. But it sort of feels like lazy comedy, I suppose, is what I, as much but as Yeah, anything. no, I've moved away from the avo yeah. avocado joke market. Yeah. I realise it becomes saturated. <laughs> and I've gone for new... I mean, like, I, I, I'm always trying to think of, like, an observation, you know, that thing yeah. that's on the tip of your mind. And there was one that I did on the recent tour that I was just really pleased with because I was thinking about the middle classes and I thought, yeah, you don't be lazy about it. But one thing I did realise was that all my middle class friends always seem to be quitting things. That's what I started realising. <laughs> They're always quitting things to have more energy. <laughs> I was like, I've quit caffeine. I've got so much more energy. I've quit... <laughs> I quit dairy. I have got so much. And I was like, what the fuck are you storing all this energy for? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Are you, what are no. you planning? So, <laughs> did, I sort of think, did they think that like, if, the, if the country went feral, they were going to mountain bike their way out of trouble? You know? <laughs> so, so I'm conscious of the things that you say. And, yeah. and sometimes I was very aware that at that time I was doing stuff on Mash Report and then things were becoming cliches very quickly. And I was trying to kind of, you know, move, move on from that. But I, I do love an observation about women you know I do if I can think of one and I've always thought like you know I never thought I, I make the observation and I think the audience can sit there and think well that's bollocks I don't agree with that you know I don't see why it's offensive if I'm wrong but but I quite I've been married a long time and every once in a while I just work something out and I worked out something about my wife is that like she doesn't want like breakfast early in the like when she wakes up I'm ready to eat almost immediately yeah. But she, it's, it's almost like she's come round from major surgery. I have to, like, 
I have to bring her tea and then half a slice of toast and, and stuff, you know. But weirdly, by brunch, she's ready to drink alcohol. <laughs> by 11 a.m., she's gone on this journey. 9 a.m., just no, don't even bring it near me. 11 a.m., all right, let's have some scrambled eggs and let's get on the smash. And, and of course, you know, like an audience are willing. There's be a lot of women right now in this audience who think, well, that's just not, that's not me, that's incorrect. But I, what I worry about of comedy now is that you have to put in... You know, I was speaking with, I was about to name drop, but with Catherine Ryan about this, about terms and conditions. Yeah. So what you have to do is as you start a joke, you go, and I'm aware this won't apply to everybody. And I, that, yeah. I do think that's a bit of an enemy of comedy. If what you're saying doesn't have any hate or contempt in it, when I'm observing those things about women, it's more out of a sense of wonderment. I love that <laughs> about my wife. All the things that she does differently that I can't explain, I love it. But I think within a live context, I mean, comedy is all about context, I think. And the problem, I suppose, with social media is it allows people to grab something out of the context it was originally in. And that's, yeah. I think that's usually when, I mean, sometimes people make bad mistakes and say something stupid. But I think saying something stupid is still not as bad as doing something yeah, <laughs> evil or wrong. Yeah. So it's sort of weird the amount of uh, anger that, that a joke or a, a mistimed comment can, can create. But... You know, it is about context, and I've experienced that. And I'm sort of glad. All my sort of more controversial shows were in the noughties before social mm. media, where they could, e e you know, you could easily have picked out a line that was about, you know, me developing the, the character I was in that particular show. Uh, and if you saw the whole show, I think it would pay off and it would be fine. But if you take out a line... You know, well, that's the thing, you know, we live in a, people feel like their whole ideology can be proved by a 25-second clip yeah. on Twitter. And I hate that phrase now, and it comes from left and right. They'll find an example of a certain kind of behaviour that they don't like, and they say, this is who we are now. And it's just, no, it's not. Yeah. It's a person doing a terrible thing, you know. It might be a few lads the other day on the Free Palestine thing that were stomping on a car. Yeah, it was awful. But I don't think that that stands for the, for the whole movement. But it almost feels like there's a group of people online that are just waiting for fragmentary evidence that backs up their worldview. And I just, I don't think anyone benefits from it. I don't think, maybe I'm deluded, but I think this country's all right. I think most people are all right. But for some reason, a lot of people are looking for evidence that we're in this kind of tailspin toward, yeah. towards some sort of apocalypse. And that, that, it's just a personality thing. That catastrophizing just, it, it doesn't... Um, resonate with me you know I'm not, no. maybe, maybe I'm a blind optimist I don't know I, would like to know, you're, I think the thing with your attitude it's in the book is that you know things nothing's gone wrong nothing's gone wrong the, the problem is every now and again that it works that's, that's an argument that works 99% of the time but yeah. then something does go wrong I think you've got to be on the lookout but yeah by saying by comparing everyone to the Nazis it devalues when something Nazis. comes on. Nazis. Devalues yeah. Nazis. The Nazis are very yeah, like the Nazis. Yeah, devalues the Nazi brand. It, it devalues. <laughs> it makes Hitler look bad. And what I've been trying to say all this time. Um, you know, but it, it means that when something does come along that is actually mm. close to that, it, 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 it's so watered down that you're not going to... No, you know, I think it's a fair point. And, and as you were saying that, it sort of made me conscious of a, of a personality thing that I have. Is that I, I do find it difficult to acknowledge when things have gone seriously tits up. Yeah. You know, there was some, you know, a period of grief that I had in the, in the middle part of the last decade where I just tried to keep striding on because of this... Stiff upper lip, you know, just keep going, Jeff. And 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 when I, when I stopped to think, so basically what happened was that um, I, we lost a baby at 34 weeks, which is obviously you know comedically there's not much in that. Um, there, you know, my dad. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking that was my brain going. <laughs> can I work this one, you know? But but then then my best mate six weeks later. This <laughs> here we go. Finally, the Tory gets the violin out. Um, 
and then, and then my dad after so I just lost a, a lot of people yeah, yeah. but what you're saying is, is true actually it's a personality type thing it took me a long long time to actually acknowledge how shit that was and maybe that is part of you know it helps me but it's also um, a flaw because particularly with the you know losing the baby I just I just it took so long to so long to even be able to talk about it. I mean I spoke about it first on a podcast the brilliant grief cast with Carrie Ad Lloyd yeah. and that was well that was like seven years after it happened yeah. just couldn't couldn't talk about it so it's all well and good you know being an optimist and stuff but if things re- if the shit really has hit the fan you do need to stop and acknowledge it you do and I think it's I think it's a, a slightly a male thing and I think it's you know, I, I've experienced not the same, but I know, I know exactly what you're talking about uh, and how you sort of boulder on through that and it sort of hits you down the line. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's... That's why, I mean, I think it's, there's, it's easy sort of dismiss um, a, a whole, you know, a whole type of people or a whole ethos of looking at your life. But I sort of wonder whether the, the country's been a bit backward-looking and actually we need to be a bit forward-looking in whatever we're going to do. And, if, and, and that's what I mean, for someone like you to mm. come out and talk about grief and depression and, all the, and, the, and panic attacks, I think is, you know, I do not think that's a, to say this is all right, this stuff happens. Well, I do think it's weird with depression because, like, I'm just a very practical person. So if someone's going to talk about it, I just want to hear advice. When people talk about it, they go, it's a bit taboo. I go, is it anymore? But I like advice, you yeah. know. And a lot of my mates are quite blokey blokes and stuff. And I've just learned little, you know, just talking about it like maintenance. Using, I do think blokes, you know, your average bloke, it's a different pitch when it comes to mental health. The language about it. And just talking about it as maintenance. You know, just, just have, you know, sort of having an MOT. Just going and chatting to a counsellor and all, all that. It just became very practical to me. It wasn't this big emotional thing. You know, taking medication. You know, a lot of people, particularly people I knew from within the, you know, the industry and stuff, going, it's a very brave choice. I was like, I don't think it was a brave choice. I I, I would rather not have done it. I'd rather those shit things hadn't happened. But in the situation I was, I just needed to do something to get back on my feet. So I think it's as as much as anything, it's it's a language around that. And, you know, when I talk, and this sounds like a horrible plug for the podcast, but just occasionally I do a men's mental health bit. And I just try and observe those rules of, of not just kind of wallowing in it, but what could I pass on or what can I say that might be useful to someone else? Sure. Yeah, but, it's, and, but I think, like, again, so working-class men of my granddad's generation yeah. wouldn't, have, wouldn't have even acknowledged it or talked no, about something. Just get another hernia yeah. up my, to push it all down. My granddad liked opera, right? My, my builder granddad yeah. liked opera and he just got the piss... If he ever talked about it, he just got absolutely... He couldn't even discuss it. I can imagine. It. Uh, <laughs> he was only like listening to very light opera on records with his wife, you know. So like even something like that, you know, 50, 60 years ago was so different. And I just, I, that's, I don't want the country to go backwards. Whatever else happens no, with everything not, else, no, you know. I and I sort of think both sides, left and right, are sort of looking back to a, a time in the past. And I think we're in it. We're at a crossroads where we need to be looking to the future and stopping the world being destroyed, but also being a, mo- being a modern country, you know. Yeah, and I think also, I think the thing about a culture war that I, I've grown to dislike quite intensely is, is you have to have these composite personalities. So, all right, if you're that side, you have to think this yeah. about, you know, climate change, or you have to think this about vaccines, or even with Meghan and Harry, you know, when I watched, you know, I'd sort of started to get a bit annoyed with them, and then I watched that interview with them, and I ended up feeling, like, oh, yeah, I like them more now. Yeah. I like this interview, I like them more, and I t- spoke about that on my podcast. A few people are like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you know, like, 
Like you, you're straying out of line and it happens to people on the left. I don't quite know how we've got to a point where you feel like you have to have a, a, sort, of a, a sort of patchwork of the same opinions, you know? Yeah. I think that's odd. But then what happens, and I've found this recently, if you're very specific about exactly what you think about everything, you will end up pissing more people off. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not towing one line or the other. So a lot of people, you know, they'll try and explain it by saying, oh, he's being disingenuous. And you go, no, I'm just saying exactly what I think about each thing, you know, as it happened. I did a Radio 4 show recently, and, you know, I spoke about Black Lives Matter and the fact that initially I had probably possibly a defensive reaction to it. But then over time it did have quite a big, you know, impact on me. And then, you know, some people are going, oh, classic, he's trying to get on side with the BBC. He's sold out to the libtards. And it wasn't that. I just sort of become, you know, I sort of took on board something. It took yeah. me a bit of time. But, but that is something, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's something uh, like intellectually massively immature about this period, this culture war that we've gone it's I think it's down to say, I remember like when so there was a comedy forum in like 2001 or something, and it was one of the very early comedy forums, and I just remember, and they would, they would I, I'd probably remember it because they sort of, they were people who liked me and were slightly turning against me for some of the stuff I was doing. Uh, but the, the attitude was like people would post on that comedy forum go, what does the forum think about this new TV show? They wouldn't go, here's yeah. my opinion about a thing. They would, uh, they would ask for the, what's the prevailing opinion so mm. that I can then slot in and agree with what right. everyone thinks. So people have kind of become, you know, I think the internet's made everyone in these, into these little tribes where they want to belong and not really do anything. I mean, they, if that's the thing, you're not really doing it. If you believe in something and you're doing it on Twitter... You're not really well, yeah, making like any everyone, difference to the world. Everyone is sort of, there's, there's a scramble for identities, you know, and as a, a working class conservative leafo, I find that depressing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realise, I, you know, we've done, this, we've done the same thing, but I think you know, you're, you're more than the totality of these. The, this sounds like really wanky and cliched, but, but I actually think based on the evidence of the last few years, it is something that, that you need to, to say, you know, it's not true that all middle-class people like avocado. There you go. This is where the healing begins. They are nice, though. They're, they're not. Nice. They're nice. It's nice fucking avocado. not. Nice. It is not nice. Avocado, I had, look, I'm, I'm not I taking a piss. I had a bit of avocado salad before no. the show. No, <laughs> It's disgusting. I don't think anything that's not meat should be that oily. <laughs> freaks me out. The big old stone in it. I just don't like it, right? <laughs> so now we're beyond class stuff. I don't like avocado... Yeah. It's too, it's too meaty. What I don't like about them is they're just an unreliable quality. So if they were always <laughs> the correct level of ripeness, that'd be fine. But you have to throw away a lot of avocado. <laughs> and that's what I don't like about them. You go, and this, is, this isn't ripe. This is too ripe. We need, to, we need to work it out. I'll ask you some... It's very interesting. The book is really interesting. Whatever you, uh, whatever you think about Tory scum, you should still, yeah. still read it. <laughs> and listen to it because, but I, I genuinely think that and I, and I actually think you know if, if there's I think that thing of a party that you would vote for and I would vote for which isn't impossible in fact it will have happened because we both voted Labour we both voted Tony Blair yeah. uh, so it happens uh, and, and, I, and I, that's it's very interesting for the left wing and non-Tory parties if they're ever going to come back and well, they've got, they've got to own the idea of aspiration. One of the reasons that Blair did well 
was that he sort of underlined it was okay to want to do all right for yourself. I don't know why yeah. that became a bad thing. Like, especially you know, when you've got family, it's not, it's not unnatural to think that you want to improve your situation for yourself and the people closest to you. And then beyond that, of course, society. And in a weird way, when you're working class, the imperative to want to do that is actually stronger. You know, if, you're, if your starting point isn't fantastic, the need to get on an upward curve is more of a, of a pressing need. So Labour owned that territory, for, at least for the first couple of elections, but then something happened. It wasn't just Corbyn. Corbyn gets a lot of stick. I think that it started happening in like 2010, where yep. sort of the narrative of the party just felt a bit victim-based, you know. And it didn't, you know, a lot of, even in this recent by-election in Hartlepool, I'd imagine a lot of Hartley people were going, we've got a house, you know what I mean? Mm. Houses here are cheap, we've got disposable income. Our lives aren't, we don't all need saving. We just got a party, we just want a party that is positive about us. And, and represents us. So it could happen again, but I do, I do feel like Labour, perhaps, the civil war still needs to happen, I think. It does. It just, it, you know, I just know so many people like Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson himself. And just yeah. that, the fact that people, working class people would vote for him, I find, I just find that unbelievable. That you would be able to point out all the, the, the failings of the Labour Party and middle class people and mm. North London elite, which is Boris Johnson is not actually any of the Labour Party. It sort of, it sort of feels weird that, you were, that people would go that well, far because he's so clearly... Well, one, a vote is an approximation of a lot of things. You know, yeah. so a lot of people that voted Labour in 2005, they weren't voting for the Iraq war as such, maybe not even voting for Blair, right? Yeah. It's a lot, but the, you have to remember who the other geezer was. At that point, we had two terrible alternatives. You know, yeah. two, Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson. But the thing about Boris Johnson is, on a basic level, he does make people feel something. And Keir Starmer does not. No. Like, he, he, I mean, his nickname was Forensic Keir. Yeah. That is, if you're on a stag do, that is not the geezer. That you're, like, <laughs> you're going, well, oh, but he can split a bill down to the nearest penny. Now, now, and I'm, now, a lot of people say, oh, isn't it depressing? Is this the way that we choose our votes now? Just because Boris seems like more of a laugh. It's not that. It's just <laughs> it, Well, it is a bit that. But I, 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 don't, I don't like Boris Johnson. He's not my kind of politician. But I felt that on balance, at that last election, I mean, I've said this before, democracy is about a choice between the least shit of two options, right? It's very rare that it's been anything other than that. And the last election, the 2019 one, it was about a Labour Party who ended up with a position which was that they were going to redo the deal on Brexit and then they were going to have another referendum where they'd campaign against their own deal. Mm. And I remember I did that, I mentioned that in the Mash Report studio to a lefty Remain audience and I was about to do a joke about it and they just laughed. This is a <laughs> fucking farcical thing to do. So it, I think that if people do find it depressing that loads of working class people are voting in effect for Boris Johnson, I think it's a lot broader than that. Evidently, people do identify him with him on some level. But I don't even think, I don't even think Boris's banter is that good. He was sold to us. He's, <laughs> he's the king of the banter. You know what I mean? You watch him. You watch him in the commons on his feet and he just looks, he just looks half asleep. You know, he hasn't, hasn't yeah. even delivered on the banter front. <laughs> uh, well, I just, you know, he just definitely hates every working class person in the country. Definitely. That's all I would Do you say reckon? Yeah. I just, look, I, went, I was at university, I didn't know him at university, but yeah. I was at the same university with him at the same time, more right, or less. Right. And I know exactly the kind of people he was. And I, I didn't mix with them, uh, you know, because I was from a comprehensive school. I would never have mixed with those guys anyway. But I just, there's just disdain. They're, they're out for themselves. He's an awful human you know, being. Look, no, look, I, 
I, this is deeply unfashionable. I was more of a Theresa May man myself. You know? <laughs> I know that's not a commonly held view. I kind of like the Prime Minister to look like they're not enjoying it, you know? <laughs> I don't think it's the sort of job you're supposed to be larking around at. You've got to look burdened by it. She, she got heckled by her own voice. Her comment. <laughs> she was having a fucking terrible time of it. And then she did the dancing. I mean, she, that, <laughs> that is... That is, I mean, I, 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 I thought Theresa May, actually, you know, they often say this about prime ministers. Actually, I think history would be a bit kinder to Theresa May. But, you know, that deal had a lot of her work in it. But one mistake that I think the left do make with Boris Johnson continually is they make things that he's going to do seem impossible, right? They say, I will never be leader. He'll never be prime minister. I'll never reopen the withdrawal deal. Never get a trade deal within a year. And these were all sort of doable things. So when he does them... You make, you know, a very mediocre person look like a fucking Avenger, you know? <laughs> and he, be he benefits from the catastrophizing uh, on yeah, the other yeah. side. But, I mean, if, you know, if left-wing people are getting depressed, I do think that the Tory cronyism, I think at the moment, no one's really got any mental space for that. All you're thinking is, have we booked a table at a pub, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need to book tables at pubs now. That, we're so focused on the moment. But I do think in two, four years' time, when those people, if they seem to have profited from this, whether or not there was a context and a reason that they gave out contracts to, to their mates, if all Matt Hancock's mates have got jet skis, right, <laughs> I do think that the tide could, could start to turn. And I think it's a bit of a mistake to think that this pattern we're in now uh, is for, forever. But I think it's going to get worse for the Labour Party before it gets better. But it could be different by the time of the next election. Mm. You're more optimistic about the Labour Party than I am. I'm no, I, I, I mean, I'm quite happy for them to keep swimming in shit, but I just thought I'd say something positive. <laughs> right, well, look, we, it's, it's gone very quickly. I'm going to ask you a quick emergency question. I've got some slightly newer ones. Let me have a look. Um, and let's see how we go. Um, oh, very well prepared. Um, would you rather... I'm doing some would you rather ones. Yeah. Would you rather um, be the first person on Mars, uh, have life support and food, but no means of getting home, or have everyone know that you were the person who was the dancing hand on the Eurovision Song Contest? I was the dancing hand on... On the Eurovision Song Contest. Did you see the Germany entry? There was a woman who was a dancing hand. Oh, I didn't see that. Ah, well, that, that might sway your judgment. Uh, you can, if, if you want, you can have, or would you rather have everyone know that you were the person who played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think The Phantom Menace was an all right film, you know? Right. Yeah, well, there you go. You think about the controversial things I've said. In, <laughs> in Nerd World, they're like cancelled. <laughs> I, th I think it stands up. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So from that context, I, I, I would, I would happily be the guy that played. Okay. Not would happily. You, wouldn't you like to give me the first, if you were the first person on Mars? Yeah. That'd be pretty cool, though. You'd be go down in history. Who could you show off to about it? <laughs> well, you wouldn't. You You'd would show off on a on a, a Zoom call with a 17-minute <laughs> delay. But in a thousand years' time, everyone would still know your name. But I'd be dead. It doesn't matter. They still. It's the. It's, the life well, I'd just be sitting on Mars just cracking one out to the idea <laughs> of my future notoriety. <laughs> this, this, is, this legacy is going to be sticky, let me tell you. Um, sticky was not, a bad word, wasn't it, in that context? Not, it's not a great choice. Yeah. Uh, and I'll ask you one more, and let's see what it's going to be. There was a good one here somewhere. I'm sure I came up with one good one. 
I'm lo- I don't know why I keep on looking on the back of the paper as if that's going <laughs> to suddenly... I think I've lost a page. Um, all right, this is it. Would you rather have a sense of smell that could travel in time? You could smell any environment from the past or future. Yeah. But not specific. You can't go, I want to smell a specific flower. Wherever you are, you can smell that thing. Yeah. Or have a free pineapple delivered to your door every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you are as well. And, it's, and if you want it, they'll cut it up for you. Because that's the worst well, thing about pineapple. Well, I could go, f- my nose could travel forward in time. Yeah, forward, you could go and smell the future. But that would be really frustrating, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because I wouldn't be able to contextualise some of the smells. No, well, that's why. It's not a great, my, it's my weakest sense. I think it's probably most human beings' weakest sense. I, but it's most evocative, though. Yeah. It doesn't change. Like, you smell freshly cut grass, you're right back to being, like, a five-year-old yeah, or whatever. It won't work in the future, will it, Jeff? You can't it won't smell, work in the, smell the in the future. That... But it'd be a weird oracle, wouldn't it? Like, you could just say to me, I have... <laughs> Travelled to the future. Yeah. And what do you know, Jeff? It, it smells quite metallic. I don't know why. <laughs> so work around that. Get, that. get the boffins working on that. Yeah. It smells quite metallic. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Or the past, you could smell... Like, you could the go past, to the Jorvik oh. Centre and smell what Vikings poo smelled like. Is that I, just, I, ju- I just want to smell general people. I reckon they absolutely reeked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You get that impression, don't you, from the films. Yeah. I, the films. From... <laughs> I reckon they. Re- I just want to know on what level they stank. I think it'd be bad. I'd, yeah, it'd be interesting to smell a royal, someone in the royal family from the 1500s and see if they were <laughs> better. See if that. What the? Because I wonder whether the level of you know the level of comfortable living in the 21st century compared to mm. being a king in medieval times. I wonder which you would choose between those. Because uh, yeah, I just smell Henry VIII. What, yeah. did, he, what did he smell like? I bet he did bit, bad farts. Bit gouty. Yeah, I reckon. A bit gouty. Oh, did they have aftershaves then? I don't even know. I don't, well, they had... They had uh, they might, they, I know for a fact this audience, someone knows. Do you, do you know if they had aftershave in Tudor times? I wouldn't have was it Tudor times? I doubted myself then. You're all clever people. This is what imposter syndrome feels like. There was definitely perfumes, wasn't there? But there, were def- there would have been per- there was perfumes and men would have... Uh, do you think King Henry VIII would have worn perfume? There's a question for you. You think you, you, think you probably would have done? Well, I'm, I'm going to take that. Do you know what lady in the front row of the audience. I think he probably would have done. Do you know? No, I'm just guessing. Like the rest, of it. that is the answer. Do you know what I'd like to see those? You know those p- old paintings where they've all got weird puffy faces. Yeah. I just would love if that's just exactly how they looked. We've always presumed that that was an impressionistic thing, <laughs> but we don't have any photos. They just had really weird bloated faces. <laughs> I don't know if my nose could pick that out. You know. Yeah. Would my nose be travelling disembodied through time? Because yeah, that would be weird for them as well. Because <laughs> then, in a Back to the Future way, would I then yeah. come back to the present time and everyone be worshipping a giant nostril? I think it would just be, you're, you'd be able to smell. Just be able to smell. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, no, they wouldn't see anything. It's not, not a finger travelling in time. Hey, we're off. <laughs> we're back. We're back. <laughs> Look, it's been lovely to talk to you. We got it. That's a, we've done an hour already. Is that an hour? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Thank you fucking very much. It was much. the best. <laughs> it was the best live show I've done in 2021. Oh, thank you very ma- much. It's nearly June, and that's the, be- the best live show I've done. I should have fucked off while they were clapping, shouldn't <laughs> I, really? <laughs> you had your moment. Uh, no, it was great, Jeff. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Jeff Noggar. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back next week with Sarah Kendall. Why don't you come and see that as well? Thank you very much. See you in a bit. Go and have a week. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Jeff Norcott. 
thank you to Scant Regard who are providing this new music for us. I love it, my fine friends. You are my fine, fine friends. Uh, I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Great to have you back on the scene. I'm indebted to incompetent soundman George, who was also at all of these recordings. I'm, of course, indebted to Chris Evans, not that one. Um, and I would also like to thank Kathleen McKeegan for her fantastic work on Rahalaspa, rahalaspa.com. A valuable resource for anyone re- who's already done some Rahalaspas with someone and is re-interviewing them. So thank you for that. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Head to GoFastTheStripe.com slash badges to become a monthly badger. All your money will go towards making new podcasts. We've got some ideas for some new podcasts in the pipeline that we will need some money for. Uh, you also get loads and loads of extras. We've talked about it before. Why don't you listen? GoFastTheStripe.com slash Rahalastapa. If you want to sponsor me, JustGiving.com slash Monoball. Thanks, bye.